Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Dr. Robin Burzen is a functional medicine physician and the founder of Parsley Health. She's on a mission to make functional medicine affordable and modern so more people can access a holistic root cause approach to health, something we can all get behind here at My Buddy Green. She's a summa cum laude grad of the University of Pennsylvania. She went to med school at Columbia and later trained in internal medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital. She's a certified yoga instructor, a meditation teacher, and she's an instructor in our functional medicine program. Colleen and I have known her for over 10 years. She's a dear friend, and we love all the things she's doing at Parsley Health, and it's an honor to have her here today. Robin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so psyched to be here. Thank you so much for coming. If you're listening, you can't see this because Robin is about to pop with her second child. So (laughs) how are you feeling? I'm feeling very large. I'm feeling like you could like roll me down the street to get in here. So uh, yeah, but I'm but I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming, especially being third. How many weeks? I'm like Pre- almost thirty-eight. Almost thirty-eight. Yeah. Weeks. I'll try not to go into wow. labor in the middle of this podcast. Uh, we, we have a first. <laughs> we have a, we have yet to do that. But no promises. Yet to do that. Hey, we have a lot of content from a lot of great, you're a medical professional, so, you know. I'm I'm sure we'd figure (laughs) something out. We'd figure something (laughs) out. So I'm glad you're here. And something, um, you know, we've talked about, and it seems like an issue that a lot of people are are interested in is hormonal health. So let's start there. The mighty hormone. Yes. Blamed for all sorts of problems. Yes. Um, yeah, hormones are this kind of interesting black box because they're this big category and they get blamed for everything. And people come into Parsley and say, my hormones, my hormones, I feel like my hormones are off. And I think people Google that all the time and and are trying to figure it out. And what we usually find is that there's something pressing on your hormones. There's some systemic issue that is making the hormones out of whack. So your hormones are these chemical messengers that travel throughout the body and they're made by glands in the body. They're made by your thyroid. They're made by your ovaries. If you have those, your testicles, testes, if you have those, they're made by your adrenal glands. Um, and they're chemical messengers and there's cells all over your body that have receptors for these chemical messengers. And they're kind of like a on and off switch telling your cells what to do. And they're very powerful. And the most important thing to remember about them is that they operate like in a concert. They're kind of like a symphony. So they're all listening to each other and they're listening from, to other cues in your body and they're kind of getting louder or getting softer all the time. Um, they're not static. And so when we measure hormones and we do that in a bunch of different ways, we're often measuring them um, at a certain time of day. Um, we, like testosterone is going to be higher in the morning and lower at the end of the day. Cortisol is going to be higher in the morning, lower at the end of the day. Female hormones we're testing either on day three, if you're thinking about fertility, or day 21, if we're trying to figure out what's going on with your cycle, or if you're postmenopausal, then any day. But these hormones are always moving around, and they're always responding to something. And so when people say, ah, my hormones are off, what we try to do is like say, all right, let's dig a level deeper. Let's understand, first of all, what does that mean? What are the symptoms you're actually having? 
And then oftentimes there's some external factor that's really pressing on the hormones. And it could be inflammation. It could be diet. It could it's be stress. Always inflammation. It's always inflammation. It's, that's the other. Inflama- it's always inflammation. But wasn't it gratifying? Did you see that New York Times article that came out like a couple of weeks ago? And it was like inflammation, it turns out, is very real. And it cited all of these Harvard doctors and scripts and everybody else. And I read this article and I was like, thank you for confirming the thing that all of us have been talking about for 30 years, like (laughs) great news. But yeah, it can be that. And so you mentioned men. Mm -hmm. You don't really hear that a lot. Like a conversation with men, you don't usually hear other men say, my hormones are all off. That's a really good point. (sighs) They should be saying that. (laughs) Yeah, so let's talk about that. And you know, when people are coming in and mm-hmm. saying something's wrong, whether it's a, a male or a female, like what are some of the symptoms? What do people say? Like what if someone's listening and say, oh, you know what? That may be it. Yeah. So it's funny that you bring that up because it is the women who will come in and say, I think it's my hormones. Um, but really when I say, well, what is it? Whether it's a man or a woman, it's fatigue, it's low libido, it's weight gain, especially abdominal weight gain. It's insomnia. Uh, it's blood sugar issues. I, this is I, I have a. This is our toddler problem. Yeah. All right. <laughs> For all of you out there who don't have the the joy of having a three year old, um, maybe it's not your hormones. Maybe it's your three year old that's giving you all of the symptoms yeah. that I just listed. For, for you guys listening, our kids are like the same age. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Dax and Ellie are friends. They are friends, and they are running our worlds right now. <laughs> um, so it's it's all of these things, and with men, it's a lot of weight gain, poor sleep, hair loss, low libido, high blood pressure, poor muscle mass, um, or feeling like they can't build muscle if that's a goal. Um, feeling like brain fog and out of focus is common for both men and women. Um, burnout and brain fog are huge, and oftentimes there is a hormonal root to that. And the simplistic answer I hear a lot, especially for libido and weight is, oh, I just need to supplement testosterone. And there's a lot of startups out there right now that are kind of selling testosterone and selling um, hormone replacement therapy for menopause, for men, for testosterone, for all men, for hormones kind of across the life cycle, kind of selling them online. And I think it's really problematic because they're not offering the in-depth testing to understand the most important question. And the most important question is, well, why, first of all, do you have low testosterone really? And then if you do, why is it low? Mm -hmm. And it's rarely because your body can't produce testosterone. I always say there's, if you sit in a car, right? And you step on the gas, you step on the brake at the same time, what happens? Stop. You don't go anywhere. So a lot of times there's plenty of gas in the body, but there is something pressing on the brake. And so the brake wins. And so when we look at in men and women, low testosterone, low libido, um, abdominal weight gain, often the root issue is cortisol and blood sugar issues that are driving and inflammation that are driving down testosterone. Um, chronic stress that's suppressing the brain's ability to tell the body to make testosterone. And so if you fix all that stuff, um, lack of physical activity, lack of sleep, there's great research showing that if you are moving, building lean muscle mass, sleeping well, um, not eating the sad, sad standard American diet, but eating like real whole foods, um, and you're managing stress and you're managing cortisol levels, your sex hormones, your progesterones, estrogens, testosterones will actually be just fine. So we always try to look a level deeper and we don't just test the testosterone. We say, well, what, what are these other factors that could be driving mm-hmm. the testosterone down? 
Got to get to the why, the root cause. The, that old root cause thing, yeah. Turns and, out it matters. And so what about, <laughs> what are some of the, in terms of women, same symptoms or somewhat different? Yeah, women often, so it can be those same symptoms, weight gain, brain fog, fatigue, insomnia. Um, often, though, the, the reason I think women are quicker to say, hey, I think it's my hormones is because they have this extra vital sign, which is their menstrual cycle if they're premenopausal. And then it's period issues, infertility, PCOS, PMS, irregular cycles, um, often acne and kind of related things. I think my acne is my hormones. Um, perimenopausal symptoms, I'm not knowing if I'm in menopause or not. Uh, and that also takes like a big why, because sometimes psych- your menstrual cycle might be off and it's not because your body doesn't know how to give you a, a proper menstrual cycle. It's because you're chronically stressed. So that can lead to what's called central suppression or your brain kind mm. of shutting things down. Um, it can be because of blood sugar issues. If you're eating a ton of refined carbs, um, even if you think they're healthy carbs, they're still carbs. And you, when you eat sugar, your blood sugar goes up. Then something called insulin goes up, which is a hormone that helps regulate blood sugar. Um, when insulin goes up, testosterone actually goes up. And so for PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is understood to be actually metabolic in nature for a lot of people, it's actually their eating habits and the sugar consumption and the lack of physical activity that are messing with their ability to manage blood sugar that's then driving up testosterone and by the way ladies your estrogen levels are coming from testosterone testosterone is metabolized into estrogen Mm. and so for some women that higher testosterone will lead to polycystic ovarian syndrome for others that testosterone will be broken down into estrogen and they'll get really bad pms and heavy periods irregular cycles so it's funny i always say that like the medicine that we do is a little bit of investigative journalism because it's like putting all the pieces together. It's a little bit of forensics Mm -hmm. and you can't just look at the hormones. You have to look at everything else. Whole picture. Yeah. So what are you seeing in patients now? A lot of you're on the ground, you're, you know, you're a real Mm -hmm. doctor, you have real practice, real business. You're seeing people every day. It's true. I mean, it's like the big five are still there and I'm going to try to think about what's in hormones. I mean, the big five are, Digestive issues, digestive complaints drive 40% of primary care visits in this country, gas, bloating, reflux, all all of the things, constipation, diarrhea. Um, we see a ton of hormonal issues ranging from one bucket, which I would call the fertility bucket in mm-hmm. men and women, and we do a lot of fertility optimization in people in their 20s and 30s, as well as support for people going through like IVF and that sort of process. Um, but also the PMS, the PCOS, PCOS is definitely on the rise, polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's on the rise because of the way that we eat and move. Um, and then that I think is pushing along with people having babies later, which is the primary reason for, um, more what we call impaired fertility, not infertility, but just harder time getting pregnant. Uh, PCOS is becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger driver of that. And what drives me nuts is that, sorry to complain about the medical system and all since I am a doctor, but like people go to their GYNs who are just like, oh, you have PCOS or you have irregular periods. Here's the birth control pill. Right. And the birth control pill just masks your cycle. It just takes it over. It stops you from ovulating. And so you never actually figure out what's going on. 
And we'll look under the I always say, like, no one's looking under the hood to ask, well, why are, are you having these issues with your menstrual cycle? Why are you having PCOS? Why are you not able to get pregnant? And so a lot of people are coming to us to figure that stuff out where their regular doctor is just like, here's the pill. Right. Especially if you're thinking about fertility, you're like, well, I can't take the pill. That's not going to work. So of the patients you see, it's, it sounds like with regards to the gut issues and PCOS, a lot of it is standard to make American diet, not really being properly educated with regards to nutrition and lifestyle. Like how, how much, if you were to estimate like a percentage basis, like if everyone just followed the, uh, the Dr. Robin Burson protocol for nutrition, like how would that affect most people you see? Like 80%. How much, wow. If people change what they're putting in their mouths every day, they move a little bit and they learn to manage stress in a non-destructive way, meaning like we've all been kind of schooled in our culture, I think, to manage stress with things that are relatively destructive. Alcohol, drugs, workaholism, media consumption, sugar, right? These are the ways that we kind of get universally sure. trained to deal with emotions. Um, and if you are like gardening and doing yoga to deal with your stress versus like crushing Ambien and wine, you're going to have two really different health outcomes <laughs> potentially. So, so how would you, how would you describe your philosophy on food? I mean, it's, we call it plant-based paleo, which doesn't mean only eating plants, but it means that real whole plants, things grown from the ground that you can see, uh, make grew from the ground comprise the vast majority of your diet and then plenty of high quality protein, greens, and healthy fats. Um, and if you eat those things, you'll get a lot of fiber, which is the fourth one that people forget to talk about. The average American's eating like 10 grams of fiber a day and we need 25 to 50. Um, if you eat greens, proteins, healthy fat, and you get rid of refined flour, refined sugar, and processed foods, you've cleared out like 80% of the problem. And then there's people who have pretty significant um, or pretty frequent, I would say. F food sensitivities and food allergies are super common. They're mm -hmm. way more common than people think. People think, oh, if I eat this food and I don't like, my face doesn't swell up and turn red, I don't have an allergy and that's wrong. Um, and there are those things, but when you cut out a lot of this sort of standard American diet type of food, you cut out a lot of those things as well. What are your favorite sources of fiber? veggies yeah. just veggies and veggies that are either lightly cooked or raw because a lot of times people are eating vegetables that have been cooked like charred into the inch in within inch of their life Chard's I, okay i'm more I, of a kale girl than a chard Swiss i love chard. chard like char like heavily char like brussels sprouts oh, char charred oh, cauliflower like chard. chard broccoli yeah that's like so good white truffle oil Oof. wow you're fancy I have a good a good charred vegetable. Yeah, it's I know. Although not too much, because then you get, you know, those ages advanced glycosylation products that are like the black stuff on charred foods, which is not I so know, good it's for not you. Good either. But just it's <sighs> like tiny amounts, you'll be okay. So it sounds like eighty percent plant based, protein, healthy fats, mm -hmm. and then if you do that, you can kind of do whatever you want, have fun on the weekends or. Yeah, you don't have to be you don't have to be perfect. It's also okay. the 80/20 rule. Like you, yes. if you get to a healthy baseline, then you can push your system 
um, 10 to 20% of the time. But if you are already at a baseline that's super out of whack, sure. then when you add something to that, you crash and you feel terrible. So a lot of the work that we do at Parsley is set, like what I would call resetting someone's baseline. Yep. And then they are in control, right? Because they actually know how they feel when they introduce these things. So where are you on gluten these days? I feel like it's making a little bit of a comeback. You know, I don't know if I can advocate for that. <laughs> I don't know if I can get behind the comeback. Um, it's funny because most of the gluten that we consume, like most of the, the gluten is in these highly refined carb, sure. refined sugar, wheat products. So I always tell people, if like, when's the last time that you had a plate of whole grain barley right like never some so, great sourdough bread yeah so some great sourdough bread again if you're not if you're not celiac and you've yep. cleaned up your gut and you've healed intestinal permeability and you're not having any symptoms can you eat that sometimes sure yeah but what happens is people are like oh gluten's making a comeback and then they're on the crackers and the cookies and the pretzels and the you know baked goods sure. and the ba- like it's it's over were you so one thing he's got a very strong opinion on everything and a lot of it polarizing but i remember gundry saying that his view on all the alternative uh gluten options out there whether it's crackers cookies or probably worse do you buy that or no saying that they're worse is a little bit beyond what I would say, but they're, they're just, they're just still like for most people, they're the refined carbohydrates. You take a grain, you pulverize it into a flour, you turn it into something that clearly did not grow out of the ground. Right. You've created all these negative health effects. Um, it's the same with the fake meats. Sure. Like when you take a green plant and you make it look and taste like bologna, (laughs) whatever you've done to get to make that alteration is probably not good for you. Have you tried Beyond or Impossible Burgers? Oh, yeah, I've tried yeah. them. Which one do you, I'm curious, from a taste, uh, I, I did the Pepsi Challenge at home. What did you, where did you land? Uh, I think the Impossible Burger tastes, tastes better. I agree. Um, that good old heme molecule, turns out it matters. Yes. Talk about heme for, well... <laughs> what is there to say <laughs> no but people it's an important distinction when you talk about beef and he, like yeah so heme is a molecule that makes up the red blood cell and it's part of what the reason that impossible is so interesting is that they've effectively artificially synthesized this molecule and then added into this plant-based burger so that's why they call it the burger that bleeds mm-hmm. um and the flavor profile is definitely different than something that's doesn't have that so i don't know i still think though that eating like real grass-fed responsibly sourced sure. beef in small quantities um is better than eating plant-based burger and you can argue i think what's interesting now with all of this conversation around climate change environmental impact health impact when we say like what's better it's like well which lens are you looking at it from is it a better for the environment um if you look at like all the ways that you could raise uh cows um the environmental impact is actually lower from like factory farmed cows in terms of just environment, not health, um, but because they're raised faster, they're pumped full of hormones and antibiotics, so they're raised faster, they take less feed, they're in close condition, so they don't take up as much land. Um, 
so that's you know it's terrible for all but, sorts of other reasons. But it's terrible <laughs> for everything else. Your health, the cow's health, yeah. um, the long-term environmental impact. So it's like which lens are you looking at it through? Well, also too, there are a lot of things interesting with regards to regenerative ag and the Savory Institute. And mm-hmm. People say like actually there's carbon benefit to actually doing it the, this way, and so yeah. it's interesting. What what's great is there are a lot of people are like coming up with some some interesting solutions Mm -hmm. and i also think that what we're seeing more and more is the understanding that human health and planetary health are completely intertwined yeah um and if we can like grasp that i think you're going to see more even more of a groundswell and support than we have currently for like taking care of the planet Mm -hmm. i mean all of our greatest medicines come from plants yeah aspirin comes from plants everything does i was talking um when david Sinclair was on here. He's a big, he, he loves metformin and experimenting with that. And it's, I didn't realize it's derived from French lilac. Mm-hmm. It is originally. Yeah. 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 Although uh, I'm not, I'm not in the metformin for ma- managing blood sugar. Um, there's some downsides to it that I think well, he's are doing real. it for longevity. He thinks no, the anti-aging. Yeah. He does all sorts of interesting experiments on himself. Yeah, the problem is with the anti-aging longevity experiments is that they're all short-term, and by definition, the question you're trying to answer is only answerable in one way, and that's it's <laughs> a, a, a death. Interesting perspective. So, um, I think that some of these hacks are a little extreme. I mean, back to the hormone question and testosterone supplementation, I'm a way bigger fan of fixing the underlying cause of low testosterone than su- supplementing testosterone. Sure. Unless there's somebody who truly has... Um, you know, hypofunction, um, testicular hypofunction isn't able to make testosterone. And there are patients of mine for whom testosterone supplementation can can be game changing. Um, but it's it's one of those shortcuts that people want to use. That like, and I think metformin is starting to fall into this category mm-hmm. that has a lot of potential downsides. Yeah, and I'd I'd also argue look it's a balance so on one hand you're doing everything to optimize and and test and there's something really powerful about knowing what's working and but on the other hand there's something really powerful about enjoying life and not stressing about it and at the end of the day um whatever you believe in we are not 100 percent in control (laughs) that is for sure so we, we've known each other for years and something I've always loved about you. You've, you've been in this for a while. It, it wasn't like <laughs> wellness came up on your Bloomberg terminal. You were like, let's go, <laughs> let's do it. You know, and you know, yoga has been a, a big part of your life and we've seen each other in yoga classes at Strala and Kula and um, talk about yoga and why it's important to you and, and what it means in terms of how you think about the healthcare system as well. And, Yeah, I mean, discovering yoga was a huge turning point for me. When I think back to like who I was in college and coming to New York City for my first job and um, my concept of health at the time was just like, you know, if I can fit into a smaller size waistband of a jean, that's like what healthy is. Um, And I definitely was like the 22-year-old living on like protein bars and apples and really gross street cart coffee with lots of fake sugar and (laughs) cream um, and wine and uh, rinse and repeat cycle of, of that. And I think that yoga was such a powerful experience for me. I literally like stumbled into a yoga class downtown 
when I was that age because I was like escaping my job. And it was such an eye opener because it, I think we're all so much on this treadmill of moving fast and moving faster. And um, I had always been a cardio person. I'd run a marathon. So for me, like running was sort of like this reinforcement of all of that circular thought and that kind of drive forward that mm-hmm. we all have. Um, and I describe yoga as like sweeping the decks, like cutting across all of that. So it was a way of doing all the things that I needed to do that I didn't want to do. Like, how do I be still? <laughs> um, and how do I be present? And how do I actually perceive my body in space? Like most of us are living with what I describe as a proverbial concrete wall between our heads and our bodies. We live in our heads. We ignore what's happening physically completely. We don't really know where we are in space. We don't really like physically, you know, touch ourselves or understand like what is happening. We don't feel. We do everything we can not to feel, to ignore until it gets so bad that something breaks. Right. And when you start to connect and you start to tap in and you start to feel this physical organism that's pretty incredible, that's your only vehicle you'll have for life, all of a sudden I think it opens up like all these worlds to you. So I don't know that yoga has to be that for everyone, but for me that was like the doorway in. And then I got into meditation and then I started actually paying attention to what I was eating and suddenly all that street cart coffee was starting to feel a little nasty. (laughs) And like... You know, when you start tapping in in some way, I think it's hard. I think there's a snowball effect. I think it starts to take over and you start to see all these other things too. Yoga is the great gateway drug. It is. You know, you don't, I used to say like, you start to really get into yoga. You start, start, start developing a practice. You're not going to go to McDonald's after, but you may now and get an impossible or beyond. (laughs) But like it starts to carry over in all aspects of your life. You start to make better decisions. You start to be more in touch with your body. It's just you can't like unsee what you've seen. Um, It's interesting with everything happening in psychedelics, because I think that um, it's like people are that's like a big trend right now. Right. And I think, um, you know, for me, this is going to sound really weird because I'm not experienced with psychedelics personally, but like it's very yoga is that right. It's like, how do you kind of tap in and access another level of consciousness? And people who do that in meditation, right? They do it through mm-hmm. this practice or their bodies. So there's like, people are always all looking for a way in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a really powerful way in. What's your take on psychedelics? I know it's a complicated topic, which we could spend. <laughs> we could <laughs> spend a lot quick, of time. What's your quick hot take? Hot take is I'm bullish on them. Um, I think that there is really promising research. I think the reason that the research has went underground was really stupid. Um, and when we think about most of our most powerful medicines coming from plants, relegating some medicines coming from plants as bad and others as good as a really like narrow philosophy. And I think when we study them properly, um, seeing what, and there's obviously some synthetics out there like ketamine and MDMA, and then Mm -hmm. there's the plant-based varietals. Um, I think that there's promise in them that they could be another tool if used safely and appropriately. Under medical supervision. Under medical, yeah, in the right way, right? (laughs) Not in some dude's apartment with a bunch of friends. Not talking about (laughs) recreationally. Um, Yeah, that I don't think you're going to see very far. I mean, you know, you saw ketamine FDA approved for refractory depression, but then there's all these people doing ketamine like for fun, and that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, we're actually having someone on the podcast later this week who's an MD and ketamine therapy. That's her thing. Super interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's 
I think it's fascinating. Yeah. So going back to, to yoga and meditation, uh, something it was an early post on Mind Buddy Green that you did, and I just loved. It was you essentially explained the vagus nerve, and then you gave this great practical exercise, which I still give to everyone this day. In, inhale for two, exhale for four. But let's let's talk about the vagus nerve. We always forget about we're talking about the microbiome, the endocannabinoid system, all these big things. Let's get, talk about the vagus nerve. Everyone's like the what? Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the vagus nerve, the mighty vagus nerve. Uh, it is so powerful. Powerful. So there's, it's actually two nerves um, that come out of your brain stem, and there's one on either side of your neck that collects and it innervates all of your visceral organs, so your lungs and your digestive system, all the things in your body that do stuff without you thinking about it, without you having to tell it to do anything. A lot of that is the vagus nerve, and it regulates as well your stress response. Um, and we vacillate as humans between our fight or flight response, um, which is our sympathetic drive and our rest, digest, relax and heal response, um, which is our parasympathetic. And most of us are spending most of our waking life in the sympathetic overdrive and the fight or flight. And if you think about that, if you're always in fight or flight, then you can never rest, digest, relax and heal. And in order to get your body in a state where you can do those things, you need to power up your vagus nerves. Uh, and the vagus nerve gets powered up through um, one way is through breathing exercises. So inhaling for like a count of three and exhaling for five or in for two and out for four. The important part is that your exhale is longer than your inhale. Mm -hmm. And that will help through your diaphragm, tell your vagus nerve to fire or both of them to fire. Um, and like relax your body. And it's one of the most powerful practices that you can do. It is. And it's so simple. It's and so I, I can't even count the number of times I've, I've prescribed that one. <laughs> you prescribe it? I prescribe it too. Um, Maybe if you, if you're looking for a doctor gig, you know, we're, we're hiring over at Parsley Health. I, I just, yeah, I, I just play one on the podcast. That's it. <laughs> you do a uh, great job. Thank you. Thank you. So you mentioned alcohol earlier and we had a little fun at Revitalize a couple of years ago where you spoke and we talked about the healthiest, healthiest booze out there. What's your, what's your take? If you were to rank alcohol, what's obviously in moderation. Yeah. Used responsibly in moderation, alcohol too much is just a problem for everyone, no matter what. I will caveat this with that. That said, um, I enjoy alcohol sometimes. My number one go-to is mezcal. Um, zero carb. Um, it's like a tequila varietal if you're less familiar with it. It's a clear alcohol. So there's um, some of the darker brown liquors have these toxins in them called codeners, which are not so great for the body. So it's clear. Um, it's gluten-free. Um, it's relatively pure. And it is e more easily metabolized by the body. And then, of course, the keto people love it because <laughs> there's no carbs in it. And then my second one would be um, and I love you guys do a lot with, with dry farm wine. We yeah. do that. We do too. Um, probably, probably cause of you. Um, but I love the natural, like organic, uh, natural wines. And one of the cool things about them is not only are they made without all the pesticides, cause if you think about a grape, which is relatively mm -hmm. thin skin, that's like sucking up all those pesticides sprayed on it and the big ag world of, of wine. Um, not only is it free of all of those toxins, but typically it's fermented um, further so that there's less sugar in it um, and it's lower alcohol so people tend to feel better so those are me my two if you're going to go go for it yeah and there are also ryan hardy the chef from pasquale jones and legacy mm -hmm. records was was on here and he he was saying too that there are some regions in italy and france where they don't label it but 
they just farm biodynamically and organically. Right. And there's some, he reeled off some great names. But I, why we're talking about it, it's important because, you know, alcohol for a lot of people is part of living a, a healthy life. And but an interesting comment, I spoke to the guys, uh, zero fasting, and, and they're like focused, they're doing something on, on like essentially managing alcohol consumption. They had this great line. So you've got people who don't drink at all, and people drink way too much, like who have problems. And then the, what they call the messy middle, mm-hmm. which is the majority of the population. Right. People like, they're kind of all over the place, and alcohol is part of their life, but they're struggling to figure out like, what does this look like for me in a way that is a little bit healthier, a little bit more sustainable? And that's where like the struggle comes in. Yeah. And I think that it's a really good topic too, because there's been so much attention on the foods that we eat and people get really obsessed with that. And then they forget that they're drinking wine and coffee that are like two of the most potentially toxically grown plants. Right. So Mm -hmm. not having organic coffee and then wine, these substances that are like a kind of pretty, you know, slow drip, consistent for a lot of people. Um, and they're not thinking about like, where is this stuff coming from? So on the subject of alcohol, you had a great post on your site explaining, I've always wondered this, why do people's cheeks get red when they drink? Well, there's sort of two reasons, right? So there's a segment of the population that lacks an enzyme to metabolize alcohol. And so when somebody gets really really red in the face. Um, that is, that's why. Um, and so it might be just genetically who you are and how you metabolize alcohol. (laughs) Um, and then in that sense, there's like not too much you can do about it. And then, um, for others, and, and this is true of alcohol across the board. And one of the reasons alcohol, I don't like people to drink every day. And, and we recommend for many health reasons, but, um, one I'll, one I'll harp on is sleep. Um, alcohol interrupts your body's ability overnight to get to its ideal lower resting body temperature and lower heart rate that you need to reach deep sleep. So a lot of people are having a glass or two of wine at night, falling asleep, thinking, oh, my alcohol helps me sleep, um, and having really crap sleep as a result of the alcohol because their body can't cool off um, and their body can't get to that lower resting heart rate. And so um, for some people who are drinking that the alcohol can kind of basically heat you up mm-hmm. um and for like the lighter version of the flush cheeks that's why so on the subject of healthier beverages one that a lot of people are very excited about and there are all sorts of miraculous claims celery juice oh. <laughs> i feel like i'm always Is that your answer right there <laughs> <laughs> i wrote an article for mind body green also a zillion years ago <laughs> on the case against juicing and i feel like the like attacks i got for that i think like, you have to separate celery juice from or you could talk about both yeah well celery juice is its own phenomenon so we try to demystify things and share the science on them um with people at parsley like on our blog and stuff like that's that's our mo of our content it's basically like if it's a recipe, if it's a fad, if it's a medication, if it's a supplement, if it's a health practice, like here's the deal. Um, and so our celery juice post is deliberately written in a very calm and judicious and open-minded way. Um, but there is absolutely no science that it's beneficial at all. So if you never pulled out your RX pad and prescribed celery juice? I have never done it. Okay. It has never been a but recommendation that I have made. But you're open to it. I'm open to it. I mean, some people like have celery juice on empty stomach in the morning and they're like, oh, it helps me go to the bathroom. And they think that it's like detoxifying them. And I'm like, 
Yeah, no, that's just something called the gastrocolic reflex. I don't reflex that on an empty stomach if you have something like that in the morning the tannins in it'll like stimulate your digestive system which might be a good thing it might be what you need that's cool um yeah. but there's nothing magical about it my opinion is it's it's not going to hurt anyone it's a vegetable great there's a lot of <laughs> things that <laughs> fall into what i call the bucket of can't hurt might help yeah and i would put celery juice in the can't hurt might help bucket so what other in terms of a lot, lot happening in the world of well-being these days. What, what trends are interesting to you? I mean, there's a lot that are not interesting to me. <laughs> we can start there. <laughs> we can start with like, you know, I mean, a, a CBD is another great one like that falls into this category where highly potent CBD that's formulated well, that's extracted well, that has a specific milligram dosage. Um, that is what it says it is, can be really helpful. Like it can really help people with some inflammation issues, with anxiety, with sleep. Um, those are probably the three things that we would prescribe it for at Parsley, mm -hmm. mostly. Um, but like a little CBD sprinkled in your coffee or your cocktail is not doing anything for you. The sourcing thing is huge. Like I've heard stories from people who've gotten high and had no intention of getting high and it's a little bit of the wild west and anything in the states unfortunately yeah i mean and it's it's you have no idea what's in a lot of these products and now they're just sort of like fairy dust sprinkled it's the same thing with like all uh, i feel like it's the next wave of the last wave of that with all the adaptogens where it's like a little you know adaptogenic herbs sprinkled on something is not going to really do anything for you and so the quantity the dose the purity mm -hmm. um there's like a minimum viable amount of taking something the same way with, i always describe it to people like if you take a quarter of an antibiotic and you wonder why your sinus infection is not going away um you would understand that right but the supplements are the same way they can be yep. really powerful tools um and we prescribe them at parsley per, you know precisely for that reason but they can also be a total waste of time yep Hundred mm percent. -hmm. So, what is there anything else that's that's not interesting to you before oh we move God, on to what? what or, or you could go to, to the, what's exciting to you? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll refocus on that. Um, I mean, the things that I get ex you're going to be like, oh, Robin is such a nerd. Um, <laughs> I get excited about a lot of the weird stuff in like health tech. Um, I get excited about like all the diagnostic testing. Um, we just started offering our first diagnostic testing. Um, direct to consumers, you can do gut health testing through us and hormone testing with, through us without necessarily being a member. I'm just, and there's a lot of that out there, like 23andMe was the pioneer sure. with genetics, but there's tons of that. And I think the benefit is really there because I think it engages people in their own health data and actually knowing something about yourself. Mm -hmm. And the, all, forever the medical system has said like, we'll own your data and keep it from you and make it impossible for you to see it or use it or share it with anyone. Um, and so I'm really into all the diagnostic testing stuff. And then I'm also really interested in, uh, like a lot of the things around, I, I just think mental health is getting better and better and better. Like when I look at the startup scene, I just think there's more ca capital going into mental health services. There's more telemedicine for mental health. Like everyone I talk to, like every insurance company I talk to, provider system I talk to, like healthcare, whoever I talk to, because I'm in that nerdy world, um, is I think waking up even more realistically to the fact that like most people just don't have access to anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you're seeing digital technology bring access to stuff 
beyond like major metropolitan areas and that's i think what i'm excited about it's not like wellness stuff it's like no it's all people all need to be able to talk to a therapist wherever they are and they shouldn't have to live near someone to talk to them so you're seeing like a lot of startups in that space that i'm bullish on amen to that Mm -hmm. robin thanks so much thanks for having me